0: What if you had a guide who could tell you how to bridge a gap between who you are today and who you're destined to be? What if each week you could hear a story of someone who has tried and succeeded, or perhaps tried and failed, but learned something in the process? Limitless Spirit is a weekly podcast where host Helen Todd interviews guests about topics and personal stories on defining life's purpose, pursuing personal growth, and developing a deeper faith in Christ.
1: Months after, we found a massive grave. It was a mass grave of 260 people killed all at once. And they, they killed all of them. And that was my father, my uncle, and some of my relatives as well. We identified the clothes, and then later on, of course, we figured out there was our father. So, yeah, I could not believe that he's gone. And this is when the battle fighting God started.
2: Welcome to this episode of the Limitless Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Todd. This week's episode is part one of our two-episode conversation with Leonora Maloku, a former Muslim from Kosovo. Having lived in Kosovo her whole life, Leonora distinctly remembers the Kosovo War of 1998, which started when she was only 11 years old. The events of this war would drastically change Leonora's life. And when it ended in June of 1999, Leonora found herself in depths of despair and depression, and so her battle with God began. In this episode, you will learn about the war in Kosovo from the perspective of a young girl who had to hide in the woods with her mom and her sisters and later discovered a tragic loss of her father. But ultimately, this is a story of true hope with the most unexpected plot twists. Hello, Leonora. Welcome to the Limitless Spirit podcast. How are you today?
1: Hello, good to be here.
2: I'm, I'm doing fine. Thank you for the invitation. So you're joining me from Kosovo and um, I have never been to Kosovo. My husband had the privilege of being there just a few weeks ago, uh, but it's a tiny country. It's kind of a new country in a sense. So um, tell us some cool things about Kosovo that everybody should know.
1: Yes, Uh, I've been, like, I I was born and raised in here, so I would say that Kosovo is the most beautiful country in Europe. Uh, Of course. (laughs) It's a very small country, it's one of the youngest uh, European countries, uh, newborn countries, even though we recently celebrated the 23rd anniversary of our independence, uh, yes, is uh, mainly lived, our population is mainly Albanian, but we also have other nationalities, including the second major- majority, which are Serbian people, and also Egyptians, and Roman, Turkish, Bosnian, and so uh, Yeah, Yeah, one thing that maybe uh, I would like to emphasize for our country is that people are very welcoming. So we might be a very small country, tiny country, somewhere in the corner of Europe, but whoever comes, uh, at least everyone's feedback is that people are welcoming, people are hospitable, and also we have a delicious food. So
2: (laughs) it sounds extremely, extremely wonderful. Tell me one dish in Kosovo that is just specific to Kosovo where you can't find it anywhere else.
1: One dish that we at least present to every guest, international guest that we have in here is flia. It's a special pie which takes hours to make and a few minutes to eat. <laughs> it's more like a you know fellowship time whenever we want to have some fellowship around family members or guests. So then we would prefer making flia somewhere outside, outdoor, and it's like layer after layer, layer after layer. Very simple to make, even though it takes a very long time. But the main idea of it is to be around people and have fellowship with people as you as you make that special so
2: pie. So is, um, is it sweet or savory? What kind of a filling does it have? It's it's salty. It's kind of a, a pie. Yes, yeah. Like meat and vegetables that go Not inside?
1: Neither meat nor vegetables. It only has
2: like... You use flour, salt, water, and cream, nothing else. Oh, interesting. Sort of like a layered cake. Yes. And
1: it has, I think, more than 30 layers. Mm. So that's why
2: it takes time to be cooked. So flia, now that's on my list. When I come to visit Kosovo, I'm going to have to try that. And do you make it together as a family? Is it like a communal thing? Like in China, you know, the whole family makes dumplings. And um, so is it a family thing to make flia together?
1: Yes, because it takes so much time. Uh, families, they don't cook it very often, but especially when all the family members are together, then that's a special thing. And it's not about this dish. It's all about the fellowship together. The fellowship. They spend together around that special pot that you use to cook Flea.
2: Well, this sounds wonderful. So the, the main language in Kosovo is Albanian because the majority of the population are Albanians. Therefore, uh, the main religion also in Kosovo is Islam. Is yes. that correct? So, so you were born and raised there in a Muslim country. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and how you were growing up.
1: Almost 96% of the uh, population, they're Muslims and um, majority is Albanian. Then, as I said, we have other ethnicities living in here as well. There are two official languages in Kosovo, even though English is used very much as well, but still it's not an official one. But we have the first, Albanian, and then second official is a Serbian language as well. Uh, I have lived my the, all these years in this Muslim environment and oftentimes, I like to compare like the time before the war and the time after the war. So we're speaking of the war from 1999 here in Kosovo. Uh, before the war, people or families they have mainly been like nominal Muslims, not really practicing religion very very much. Compared to how they do it now, especially these last years, is getting more and more religious country, and also radicalism is growing. I was born in here, and compared to my other family members, I would say that I was a devoted Muslim, the one who really wanted to practice religion, fast Ramadan every single year. In fact, I started fasting Ramadan when I was six years old, every year, regularly, because to me it was very important to honor God get to know God more, and also fulfill all those Islamic laws. So for years, I've been practicing Islam and uh, just trying to be the devoted religious person. Person.
2: Now, when we're talking about the war, just in case some of our listeners are not familiar with that part of history, um, what was the war all about? And who was the war with? As... Uh, Many people might have heard and already
1: read from the history books that Kosovo and Albania in general, it, it has been under the Ottoman oppression for hundreds of years. And then later on, it was Serbia, which back then was a very big kingdom, came over these territories to fight against the Ottoman Empire. And this word was mainly a battle, a war uh, like Christianity against Islam, Islam. or Islam against mm-hmm. Christianity. So it's mainly a religious war. So when Serbia came over in these territories, they came as our allies on the sense that they wanted to help us get released and get freedom and also kick the Ottoman Empire out of the, of Kosovo and also Albanian territories. However, after that, we have somehow, Serbia took ownership of this country, including some other Balkan countries as well. And as you you know, then later on it was uh, established this Yugoslavia, including so many other Balkan countries and Kosovo, Kosovo as well. So we have been under the oppression of Serbia for years. I'm not saying like 100 years, but almost hundreds of years under their oppression as well. And we knowing our roots we really wanted to get our own freedom and be a function as a free country. However, Islam in Kosovo came because of the oppression of the Ottoman Empire and their main goal to bring Islam into Europe. So they used these territories as a channel for them to penetrate in the other countries as well of Europe. When this Special battle happened in Kosovo years ago between Ottoman Empire, Serbia, and, of course, the Albanians who lived in here. It was mainly to get us freedom, first of all, but also for the Ottoman Empire to uh, be rooted into this country and win this country for Muslim. Up to that year, most of the Albanians, they were already converted into Islam. And this was not really by uh, desire, it was mainly by force. And also they had to pay very high taxes and none of them was able to do that. So that's why then they, they, had, they were forced to convert into, into Islam. When the uh, Sultan Murat, the guy who was ruling into these, into these territories, died, he was killed in Kosovo, in a very special field near to Pristina, the capital city, he ordered his soldiers to bury his heart in Kosovo and take his body back to Istanbul. And the main reason of this was that he wanted for his grave in here to be a proof that he has brought Islam in Europe and still Mm -hmm. he wanted to have another grave in Istanbul as well. For all these years, there are so many Muslim people who go and visit that grave and somehow they just want to proclaim more and more that this country is a Muslim country and Islam should overcome Europe, Islam should spread all over Europe. However, uh, knowing all these parts of the history which are painful stories and they have brought lots of hurt and lots of killing, Uh, throughout the years for Albanian people living in Kosovo, uh, we uh, we have inherited this religion somehow from the Ottoman Empire. And on the other hand, it was the Serbian nation who did nothing to help us get rid of that because somehow they had their own interests on regard of our country. And for them, it was better for us to remain in such condition. Uh, However the very final, after most of the Balkan countries got released of the former Yugoslavia, then it was Kosovo's turn in in this 90, let's say starting from 94 with lots of riots and demonstrations. And so uh, they started closing the schools. So you could not have any more schools in Albania. You could not have TV channels in Albania. So we were isolated totally isolated, and we had no freedom at all when it comes to our rights as an Albanian nation. Then ninety nine, the real offensive, or the, the biggest offensive started in Kosovo, the war with lots of killing and, and death and fighting, which lasted for 72 days straight. And it was during this time, when me and my family, we at least it was my parents, my mom and my dad, who decided to stay in the country and not leave the country. So for months, we've been isolated in Kosovo. you know, back then, we did not have any internet connections, we didn't have any phones we could use. we had nothing. If you would lose family members, honestly you you could not communicate with them anymore. So this is what happened with us as well, with my family. Uh, Most of the times, the men, they could not stay with the women and their children because they would get killed. Uh, We had some people, Albanians, who were fighting against Serbia, you know, called Kosovo Liberty Forces, unprepared, untrained, a military Formed specifically for this war, they they didn't have anything. The only thing they had, the only tool, the only armor they had, it was their desire, their willingness to finally get free and defend their own country.
2: So, was your dad fighting in these forces?
1: No, he wasn't. He used to be a teacher. He worked as a teacher for many years uh, before this offensive started. I have seen him as a, as a student in the school, the same school where he was serving as a principal of the school as well. I've seen him being arrested and prison and from and handcuffs for many for many times because they would tell him the school should be closed. You don't celebrate anything. You don't organize any event. You don't do this and that. And he would still do that. So oftentimes, as we were doing something special, special even for the Teachers' Day or whatever day, any other national days, that he would like to to celebrate together with the other, yeah, with the people in the school, they would come and arrest him. So I've seen him even before the war started. I've seen him being arrested for so many times. However, uh, he he didn't go to this military forces, but he was hiding together with the other man. And we lost touch with him. We had no clue where he is. And we had chance to get out of the country to go either in Albania or Skopje uh, with buses and trains. And every day they were just transporting people, children and women and so on. But my mom, she decided for us to stay in Kosovo. And she said, we don't, we will not leave him behind. We don't know where he is. We don't know if he is alive or dead. But I would never forgive myself if one day the war is finished, we come back and, and he will just tell us, you, you left me behind. And we as, as children, me and my sisters, of course, we were terrified. We wanted to cross the borders. We wanted to go somewhere safer. But we wanted to respect the decision of our mom as well. So this way we all decided to stay in Kosovo. So for all these years, all these days, Seventy-two days state of very harsh, bad war. And how old were you at that time? I was eleven. In fact, I celebrate. I didn't celebrate my birthday, but I turned twelve in the forest during the war. Wow! The hiding under the bullets. So that's how I turned twelve during these days of terror. So yeah, it was a very hard time lots of trauma every day we had to survive there was nothing to eat uh, the only thing we ate for days it was some grain boiled in water that was all we had and I remember we were so hungry crowds of people uh, searching for food and they would bring trucks like Serbian military forces they would b- bring trucks in our neighborhood with flour and they would shout out, come out, we have bread for you. And then people are running as crazy for them to find a little bit of flour so they could cook some bread. And then as people were running behind the truck, the Serbian soldiers, they would take the flour and just throw it in the air and make fun of us and tell us, yeah, catch it if you can catch the flower if you can. It was crazy. And then people started to push one another. So for days, I think we were surviving every day. We were like, okay, one more day we survived out of hunger. One more day we survived of not being killed and so on. And I remember every single detail of that day when we finally got free. Uh, it was a very silent, quiet day. And in early in the morning, we saw the Serbian forces lines, huge lines of vehicles, just and tanks and all these military vehicles getting out of the city. And we had no clue what's going on. And before this, we experienced uh, NATO bombing as well. all those bombs would come over our heads. And we hated that because every time the NATO would b- throw a bomb, in one of these Serbian uh, camps, then they would get a revenge on us. And sometimes, like, they would get a revenge on civilians. But sometimes they would also use us as a shield because they knew if if NATO sees that there are civilians, they would not bomb into those camps. And we hated that because we were surrounded with soldiers all the time. Every single day we were... Surrounded by them, and we never knew how long it's going to be and when they're going to kill us all. My mom, she spoke Serbian fluently, and they would use her like literally every time when they wanted to address the crowd. They would take my mom, put the gun in her head, and force her to translate whatever they wanted to say to the crowd. And it was a very, very bad time because the crowd started hating our mom as well. Uh, she was barely speaking out all the bad stuff that they were telling us, and still she was forced to translate. And everyone was like blaming her for doing that, but otherwise she would be killed, so there was no other alternative. Today, years after the war was finished, my mom, she, can, she has this trauma. She doesn't even want to... Hear any Serbian. You know, it happened once years ago. I really wanted to start a Serbian language class because I wanted to learn Serbian. And it was her reacting very badly. It was that idea. And I had to fight for days to convince her that it's a good thing. I really need to learn Serbian. But I could, I also understood where the pain comes, comes from. It's a trauma that she has never gone through or treated. And also, God has healed me and God needs, uh, for sure, she needs to experience Jesus in order to to be able to get this freedom which goes beyond any physical or, or, or geographical border. However, that very same day, we... So some other forces coming in and it was NATO. We didn't recognize them. You know, they would bring the Canadian, it was the Canadian forces responsible for the territory. So they would bring the flag out. We didn't recognize at all what the flag is. And
2: <laughs> you were like, honestly, one like, left, the other came, and we don't even know who that is. Totally,
1: exactly. So we were like, oh my goodness, they're back. So they were placed in the center of the city and they they saw no one was moving. No one was going out. They saw no reaction. So they brought the Canadian flag out and no one reacted still. And later on, they brought the white flag up and then we finally understood, oh, we are free. We are free. So people are running this crazy, rejoicing. I will never forget those 15 minutes of happiness. 15 minutes of I can't even describe the excitement everyone was feeling because for years we've been under oppression and finally we were free. Finally, we were able to go back to our homes. Finally, we were able to go to school. Finally, we were able to eat our favorite food and not be afraid what tomorrow will bring. And it was like, wow, it's like a very good dream, something that it it cannot be real. And of course, after this, everyone was searching for their own people that were hiding in the forest or people that were part of these Kosovo Liberty Forces and so And we were like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for our dad, but he never came back. And we went back to our homes. There was no place where to live, neither. There was no roof over our heads. And for months, we were living like that. But still, we were free. Something that we could enjoy, but I remember those days seeing the other kids, my, you no, know, my friends, playing outside, enjoying, happy, and I would blame God. I said, "This is not fair, God. Everyone else has the right to be happy, but for me, it it was it wasn't free. I had to give something in order to gain something. I had to." give my father to gain this freedom. So I kept wrestling with God over this.
2: Did you find out what happened to your dad?
1: Yes. Months after, we found a massive grave. It was a mass grave of 260 people killed all at once. they, They killed all of them. And that was my father, my uncle, and some of my relatives as well. We identified the clothes, and then later on, of course, we figured out it was our father. So, yeah, I could not believe that he's gone. And this is when the battle fighting God started. He said, you could stop this, and you didn't. You could control this, and you didn't. If you're the almighty God, then why didn't you do anything? Now, why should I live? There was no purpose. There was no reason, because it was a... Something's taken to my mind that they can give me everything else, but if they cannot bring my father
2: back, then there is no purpose for me to live. Although we have run out of time in this episode, stay tuned for next week's episode when you hear the rest of Lenore's story. In part two, You will hear how Leonora found her way out of darkness and have discovered true hope and a few surprising secrets about her family along the way. This episode continues our series, Hope Rising, and leads to the Hope Rising Conference on March 29th, 30th, and 31st in Branson, Missouri, hosted by World Missions Alliance. I encourage you to visit our website, rfwma.org, to find out more about this event. If you can't attend in person, you have an option of listening to it digitally from the comfort of your home. The website, again, is rfwma.org. Until next time, I'm Helen Todd.
0: Limitless Spirit Podcast is produced by World Missions Alliance. We believe that changed lives change lives. If you want to see your life transformed by Christ's love, or if you want to help those who are hurting and hopeless, and discover your greater purpose in serving Christ through short-term missionary work, check out our website, rfwma.org, and find out how to get involved.